Like so many other events over the past five months, the Democratic National Convention this week was virtual. There were lots of questions before it happened. How would it work? What would the format be? What would it be like to not have confetti and balloons drop when nominating a presidential candidate? Well, this week, we found out. When Democrats held a four-day event in cyberspace to make their case for why their party should be running the country. And next week, Republicans will make a case of their own. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, August 21st. Coming up on the show, what happened this week during the first ever online Democratic convention and what we can expect next week during the online convention from Republicans. This episode is brought to you by Volvo Cars. Distractions happen, but there are things that can help you stay focused, like the fully electric seven-seater Volvo EX90. It was made to help keep you and those around you on the road safe with LiDAR technology that can see what you sometimes can't and a two-camera driver understanding system designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Visit volvocars.com US to learn more. Much was made of the fact that this year's convention would be online. But while the event itself was in a new format, the way most Americans experienced it was not. For tens of millions of Americans, this convention is not really that different than any other. You know, you're sitting at home watching it on TV. Maybe you're checking out social media a little bit. Our colleague Julie Bikowitz was following the convention this week. And she says the people who felt the biggest difference this year were those who usually go in person, like the delegates, fundraisers, and lobbyists. One of the lobbyists that I talked to for my stories this week had this great sort of assessment of what conventions are that I think is so true. He was saying that it's always been a made-for-TV event wrapped in a cocktail party. And so now we've just stripped away the cocktail party, which is sad for those who normally go to these things and enjoy, you know... Hobnobbing. Schmoozing, yeah. But it actually isn't that much different for almost everyone else who experiences conventions. Without the cocktail parties and fundraising events, the only thing left were the speeches. They were a combination of live and pre-recorded, and it all went pretty smoothly. Though a few candid moments did pop up on social media. Before Senator Sanders spoke on Monday, he was one of the live speeches. So, you know, they cut to him and then he was off to the races giving his convention address. But there was some footage that emerged online later of, you know, what was happening just before he went live. And it was really hilarious. Are my hands showing when I'm up here? Yes. yes. They are? His wife, Jane Sanders, was flitting around him, kind of advising him where to put his hands. Is that a terrible thing to have my hands showing? Yes. Someone off camera told him to stand up straight, and he just looked totally exasperated, like, obviously I'm going to stand up straight. <laughs> Stop it. Enough. Enough. So it was just really cute to see that video come out later and, you know, just a reminder that, like, 
even if you're a septuagenarian politician who's been in the business forever, you still do get a little bit nervous before you start talking to millions of people who are watching at home. Cute moments aside, the purpose of the convention was to drive home the big themes and messages the Democrats are trying to push in 2020. And Julie says one of those messages took center stage. If I could name this convention, I would call it the Joe Biden is a decent guy convention. Nearly every single piece of the convention from pre-recorded videos sent in by random voters to people who have known Joe Biden for decades, every single piece of the convention involves someone talking about how Joe Biden is a nice guy, he's a kind and caring person. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. That empathy, that decency. And I know that Joe Biden, with his experience and his wisdom and his decency. A person decent enough, stable enough, strong enough. Joe and I believe that we can build that beloved community, one that is strong and decent. They're making the case really that his life experiences, his losses have made him a a deeply empathetic person. And what better person to lead our country out of this very disastrous time than someone who has that sort of emotional connection through getting through tough times on his own. That decency message pervaded nearly every speech in the convention. But there was also another, darker message that came up. At the same time, Democrats are sort of sounding alarms about democracy under President Trump. And they're calling him not only callous in contrast to Joe Biden, but dangerously self-centered. And that was kind of the main takeaway from President Obama's speech. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself. At one point, Obama even saying Trump treats the presidency like a reality show and he hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Michelle Obama also had that message in her speech. When Michelle Obama was talking about the importance of the election and why she's so concerned about President Trump being reelected, she really looked like she was on the verge of tears. And also just her sharpest line in that speech was when she said, So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. She was trying to say, get out there and vote. I know you're disgusted with this whole mess, but the only way out of it is by you getting involved in voting. And then on the last night of the convention, Joe Biden got his turn to speak. He was framed by American flags and the camera was zoomed in tightly on his face. It was a very sobering speech and it also ended up feeling because of the way that it was shot and presented like almost a presidential address. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, 
not the darkness. A lot of his speech picked up on his biography and how he views himself as an American who's been through a lot, who's experienced tragedy. Uh, He went on for a little bit of time about the deaths that he has dealt with in his life. I have some idea how it feels to lose someone you love. I know that deep black hole that opens up in the middle of your chest and you feel like you're being sucked into it. I know how mean and cruel and unfair life can be sometimes. And then he sort of used all of that emotional firepower to also, you know, issue a sort of call to action for voters saying, we are a fundamentally decent country. He was building this contrast between his decent nature and his view of the president as kind of the worst of American impulses. Someone who's going to sow division and, you know, bait people into hating each other. And he talked about how that contrast is why this election is so important. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. Who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be, that's all on the ballot. And while Biden echoed the convention's themes, his decency and Trump's threat, he didn't add many policy details in his speech beyond one of the convention's mantras, build back better. The sort of singular message that the party has come up with in this time of coronavirus here and everything else that's going on is build back better. Well, what does that really mean? There hasn't been a lot of discussion at the convention about the specifics of building back better. It's just kind of interesting how the Democratic headliners have kind of fallen in line with this. This is an emergency. Let's just focus on getting Trump out. We'll deal with policy later. I mean, it's getting later and later in the campaign, and it's not clear how much more specific on policy we're going to get in this election. There are plenty of Democratic strategists out there who just kind of say again and again, you know, it can't just be about Trump. We have to have an agenda. We have to be clear about what Democrats stand for and make that case to the public. So to see the presidential nominee's campaign not do that is an interesting play. I mean, what their what their calculation seems to be is that Okay, this strategy of being extremely Trump-focused last time didn't work, but probably will work this time because now the American public has experienced four years of the Trump presidency. Through the convention, they made repeated references to Black Lives Matter and the number of deaths from the pandemic. What's the strategy behind that? Well, I think by talking about Black Lives Matter and by talking about what the coronavirus has done to people throughout the country. Democrats are trying to say, you know, we are the party that is listening. We are the party that understands the seriousness of these issues. And that's going to contrast potentially with what the Republicans do at their convention. You know, how are Republicans going to talk about coronavirus? Are Republicans going to talk about Black Lives Matter? That, I think, could be the starkest contrast coming out of these two conventions that are back-to-back, is here are the Democrats acknowledging a couple of things that 
are extremely serious and polls show Americans are paying attention to and will they come up at the Republican convention next week? More on that after the break. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. As the Democratic convention went on this week, Republicans were sharing their thoughts. It's pretty widespread among Republicans that they think this is really, really boring and that Democrats missed an opportunity to do something very exciting. Mike Bender covers the Trump campaign, and he says the view among Republicans was echoed on Fox News. This was all sizzle, no stake at the DNC. This was beyond a really, really bad infomercial. Platitudes heaped upon cliches smothered in a thick sauce of self-righteousness and stupidity. No normal person could eat what the DNC is serving this week. Is it a risky strategy for Republicans to characterize the Democratic convention as boring when they are also going to have an (laughs) online convention? Well, I got to say, I didn't quite understand the president's criticism that parts of the Democratic convention are going to be taped because a lot of parts of the Republican convention are going to be taped. But I don't think the Republican convention is going to end up being boring. Why do you say that? I say that because this is Trump. And say what you want about Trump, and you can say many things about him, but boring is not one of them. I think they're going to try for some exciting moments that will either succeed or fail miserably. And I don't think at the end of the day anyone will end up thinking that that it was boring. How are the preparations going for the RNC? Well, you ask how the preparations are going, and the best thing I can say is that they are still going, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, we have sort of a framework of what this convention is going to look like, but the people I've talked to said that there are details that are still not decided, and, you know, they all live in fear that the president could get a call from someone who isn't speaking or who isn't getting enough time and at the 11th hour sends them scrambling to to readjust the schedule. So, you know, the sort of normal Trump chaos is uh, surrounding the convention as well. It wasn't until last month that Republicans decided to go virtual. And that didn't leave them a lot of time to plan. So the convention is largely being held close to home in Washington, D.C. And there will be one person central to the whole event. This is going to be a Donald Trump coronation. In 2016, there was a lot of attention on open rebellions on the floor of people trying to figure out how to block Trump from the nomination. But this time around, you're just not going to see any of that. Trump has support from 85% of the Republican Party, according to our polls. And this time, the convention is all Trump, all the time. Trump is going to be featured quite significantly each night. Usually these things... The party saved their nominee for the last night and for a big show at the end. Uh, Trump is going to have a live, active role each day. Do you think at the Republican convention there'll be any programming for those who aren't fully on the Trump train? Absolutely not. No way, no how. I mean, that I can say with absolute certainty is that this is going to be pro-Trump every minute, every hour. 
And really, if you want to see the Republican dissent from Trump, you had to be tuned in this week to the Democratic convention where the John Kasichs, the Colin Powells, and the Sidney McCains were all featured pretty prominently by Democrats. In addition to Trump each night, speakers will include First Lady Melania Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, four of Trump's children, as well as Trump's former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. And there will also be some non-politicians who've been in the news over the last few years. Do you remember the McCloskeys, the couple from Missouri who brought their uh, weapons outside their house when the Black Lives Matter protests walked by? Yes. They'll be speaking next week. Nicholas Sandman, who was a high school student, he was in a viral video arguing with a Native American on the mall a couple of years ago. Yes. And then ended up suing CNN for $275 million, saying that he was um, unfairly portrayed. He has a speaking time slot. So there's going to be a handful of those folks who have garnered headlines during the Trump era. Like the Democrats, Republicans are expected to speak about some of the difficult things going on right now. But unlike Democrats, who can frame the problems as Trump's fault, the Republicans will have to figure out another way to frame them. The Democrats have made race a a focus of their convention and Black Lives Matter. How are the Republicans planning to address race during their convention? Yeah. Republicans want this convention to to sort of push back on the idea that Trump is for the white working class. And I know that they are taking great efforts and a lot of energy is being put into getting minority faces on the screen during the next week. So what you're going to see is a black business owner from Brooklyn come talk about the stimulus money and how important it was that Trump pushed that through to keep their business alive. The other piece of it for Democrats is not just that they have minority support of the party. It's they are showing their support for the Black Lives Matter movement. And when it comes to that particular issue for Trump and the Republicans, I think what you're going to see is a a very, very pro-law enforcement message. The idea there is going to be a play for suburban women, suburban moms who Trump should be doing better with and is not. The Republican Party thinks that they can persuade suburban women to come support Trump with a, with a strong law and order message, focusing on the riots, focusing on the violence and um, things that would have sort of universal opposition that, and to present Trump as the, as, as the person who will put a stop to that, not encourage it. How are they going to talk about the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that is going to be a really, really interesting thing to watch. I think what you can expect is, you know, a full-throated defense of Trump's handling. You know, they're going to try to make that through both the political lens and through a healthcare lens. And you're going to have folks like Don Jr. who are going to, you know, talk about how important it was to limit travel from China. I also do think that they are trying to get some folks with more, you know, with better credentials in the healthcare field to come and talk about how certain actions the Trump administration took benefited specific communities around the country. What will a successful convention look like for Republicans? Let me answer this one in a couple of different ways. One is Trump has consistently trailed Biden in the polls, and the election is getting closer. So on a very basic level, a successful convention is going to mean chipping away at Biden's lead and changing the trajectory of this race. I'd also say that a successful convention for Trump uh, is going to be beating Democrats in the ratings. It's just kind of as simple as that for him. 
And as you know, a, a successful convention for Republicans is they don't want this to be boring. So if they can get a couple of viral moments and something that doesn't look like a Zoom call, I think they're going to walk away with a very good feeling about this. That's all for today, Friday, August 21st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show's made by Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Caitlin O'Keefe, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok, with help from Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.